Striving and Thriving is the career development podcast inspiring you to make some bold changes. It's time to sweat the big stuff. Each week, we speak to industry figureheads at different stages of their journey to understand what it takes to successfully manage your career. Striving and thriving. 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 I'm your host, Laura Johnson, and today I'm lucky enough to have Hope Dawson as my wonderful co-host. Today we're excited to be joined by Michael Delaney, talent leader and dance floor king. All right then, to get us started, can you tell us a little bit about your career and your background state? Yeah, so I, <laughs> I've had two completely different careers, which is a very interesting process to go through. So the first 15 years of my working life, I was a professional ballet dancer, working in ballet companies across Australia and Asia and Europe, musicals, shows, children's theatre, you name it, I did it. Everything from Swan Lake to Bananas in Pyjamas. So a very different way to start your life off. And then at the age of 30, I had to make a transition. And as many people do completely by accident, ended up in recruiting and talent acquisition, which is where I've been then since that time. I won't say how long because that will show exactly how old I am. Let's keep that a secret between you, me and everybody who knows me. And so I started out in agency, uh, which is where a lot of people go. But then since 2007, I've worked across a number of startups across the Australian landscape starting with a small company that you may have heard of called Salesforce, who not a startup now, but certainly was when I joined and uh, through to the point now where I'm the head of talent for an Australian scale-up business. Um, I think you might be the first HR person that I've ever met that started in ballet, but I love that. <laughs> I feel like that might be like <laughs> Look, a really I'm, good Christmas party trick at some yeah, point. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> I don't, I haven't come across anyone else in HR. I actually, at my last startup before this, I did hire someone into a customer success role who had been in one of the companies that I had been in, albeit a few years apart. So we had many war stories to tell. So it was, it was kind of surreal to get someone else who knew places that I'd been and, and spaces that I'd performed in. Absolutely. And then like good dance off at any kind of work party then as well, right? Oh, absolutely. Yes, I am the dance floor. <laughs> you know, we at, at various places, it was known as the circle of Delaney because the music would come on, I would go out and people would just stand around going, yeah, you go, you do you, and we'll just stand here going, okay, I'm not trying any of that because I would dislocate my hips. Yeah, I feel like it's also one of those you don't want to completely show yourself up. You're like, yep, I'll just cheer you on from here. Like, have a good time. <laughs> yes, indeed. I love it. Um, okay, then, well, if we talk a little bit more about your role now, there's obviously just you trying to do a lot, yep. as we talked about the other day. So what does a kind of average working day look like? <laughs> I'm not sure that there is an average working day when you're in a, a startup or scale-up business and you are the entire talent function. So it's one of the good and perhaps bad things about that is that literally every day you have to reset the clock and start all over again, right? So everything from pure talent sourcing to you know talking to candidates and trying to convince them to join a business that they haven't heard of, that they don't know, that is taking a bit of a risk for them, you know, candidate marketing, scheduling, screening, running feedback sessions, organizing training for hiring managers, handling all of the feedback cycle and everything else that happens to come up in between. 
I'm kind of the guy in the business that people come to and say, hey, do you know how to do dot, dot, dot? Let's just put something else in here. Great. Can you look after that for us? Because we're not really sure who else is responsible for that. And to be fair, it's something that I really enjoy, which is why I've done this sort of thing for a long time. And I really enjoy that variety and the chance to do lots of different things and know that I can build the best plan for the day. You know, you sit down, they say, sit down at night and build your plan for tomorrow. And I do that. But normally by about 9.15, I've just torn all of that up. Um, and I'm reacting to the, the sudden need that the CEO has of something that he's found to be really important. And it's amazing how often that suddenly becomes something that's very important for me. It's like we have the same brain some days when we're working together. I love that. I always used to plan on a Sunday night. I would spend an hour planning out what my week would look like and literally go like, what are my priorities each day? And then you'd get to a Friday and be like, well, I've done two of those and there's 26 new priorities. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's, it's one of those things. Yeah, we all hear about the priority hacks of, you know, you, you write down all the things you have to do, but draw a line under maybe the top two or three, because realistically, that's all you're going to get done. And I think that's still very much true, but that top two or three yeah, is in a constant state of flux when you're working in a startup business. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess then in terms of, obviously your day is a bit crazy and you're trying to be across pretty much everything. How do yep. you stay up to date with kind of trends, best practice, what kind of new up and coming stuff? Well, that's what the hours of midnight to 3 a.m. are for when you work in a startup. Uh, uh, so look, I do, I do an enormous amount of reading and an enormous amount of listening and watching of things. So I will queue up podcasts and articles and links to things, webinars, and whether, you know, I'll sign up for everything, I guess is the best way to do it. And whether you can get there at the time or not, what's the replays. I have a, a kind of a 50 minute commute each way. So there's plenty of time there that I can catch up on stuff. And then, I mean, you know, sometimes to my detriment, I'll be still sitting there at midnight because I found some really interesting thing that I'm listening to. And you suddenly look at the clock and go, oh, got to be up in five and a half hours. <laughs> might, might have to just pause that one for now and come back to it tomorrow. But yeah, I think the secret to all of it is just constantly be curious and always find lots of things. And don't worry if you can't get to it at the time. You know, you'll get to it eventually. And as I say, midnight to 3 a.m., perfect. I don't get very many emails or calls at that point, so I've really got all the freedom that I need to get things done. You wait until you open an office in the U.S. <laughs> That'll ruin that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, West Coast would be okay. East Coast, yeah, then you definitely get no sleep because they're online and demanding things. But West Coast, you can sort of sneak it through till about midday Australian time, so that's not so bad. With the podcasts and books and things, what would be your top couple of recommendations if people needed a new book to read or a new podcast to listen to? Ooh. So my top two that I go to always, the first one is by Reid Hoffman, who was the founder of LinkedIn. He has a series called Masters of Scale, where he interviews people who've done startups and scale-ups and, you know, kind of departments within big businesses and talking to them about you know their challenges and how they overcame things and the kind of some of it's big picture thinking but some of it's also really granular level here was a specific idiosyncratic problem that I you know they solved and hearing from people like that is is wonderful and I have a personal interest in kind of neuroscience and sort of wiring the brain and how the brain works so there's this wonderful series called now which is interview a whole bunch of neuroscientists and people who think about, you know, how the brain operates and how it impacts you and 
mindsets and, and a whole range of things from really nerdy kind of scientific level, which I barely understand probably one in three words, right through to sort of more practical day-to-day -day application stuff. So they're the ones that I would typically go to most often. Masters of Scale is one that kind of, I think from a startup point of view, everybody raves about and everyone's like, that's the one. <laughs> and it's always like any startup group is like, okay, we've finished Masters of Scale. Now what do we do? Like what's next? <laughs> So. Well, the great thing about Masters of Scale is a lot of the people that he has as guests also have their own podcast. So yeah. if you find someone that you think is really good, it's easy to then expand the spokes out from there yeah. and kind of see, or at least track them as guests on other podcasts, because a lot of those people obviously know each other. So they just cycle around all of the various ones. So you can definitely follow and extend upon. It's almost like, you know, the, yeah, the, the breakaway series that we get on TV shows, you know, suddenly a character pops up in their own show. There's a little bit of that that can go on there for sure. Yeah, I love that. Okay, I'm going to skip over to ask you some questions about mentoring because I know that's what we talked about for hours the other day. Um, <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> at what stage in your career did you kind of first have a mentor or first become a mentor for that matter? Yeah, that's a really interesting one. When I was coming through, you know, back in... Don't worry about dates. Mentoring was probably not something that was maybe formally recognised. You know, you sort of... You might have someone that you knew who became that person almost by default. So the very first person who hired me into recruitment effectively became my mentor. She was a wonderful woman. She employed me four different times, which shows she's a terrible judge of character, but we'll put that aside and became, you know, kind of like my best friend. So I was able to workshop a lot of things with her about, you know, life as much as business. But in a more formal sense, this has come to me fairly late. So I, last year during the pandemic, when everybody, you know, had time on their hands and was stood down, I was very fortunate to be involved in a mentoring program called Jobs for Australia. It was a group of TA and HR folks who were out of work or stood down or whatever, who pulled together to create this platform where we could take people who'd lost their jobs through COVID and kind of coach them on how to A, navigate that, how to get through, how to make yourself, you know, more accessible and available to employers. And within that group were some of the absolute literal genius minds of TA and HR in Australia. And because we all had time on our hands, we were all sort of coaching each other as well. And so one of those people I have stayed very close with and she's gone on now to be effectively my career coach. She's incredible. I've learned more in 10 months in terms of planning and thinking about strategizing for my own career than I had in all of the years leading up to that. And it's funny, you know, when you talk to someone who really knows what they're doing, it's amazing the insights that you get. <laughs> who knew that experts could really help you grow and plan? And so through my career, by nature itself, I've mentored a whole bunch of people. I've often been the most senior person in the team. And so people have kind of asked questions and I really enjoy that. I mean, I have a personal mantra in life that every day try and make somebody feel better. And mentoring is a great way to make people feel better. And it's not always about telling them what to do. It's about asking them questions and letting them come to the realization that they could maybe look at things in a different way. And I take that back to Wendy, who was my first manager. I can't tell you the number of sessions we had where she would start out with, okay, tell me how you think that went. And I would explain. And the immediate follow-up would be, now thinking about that, how might you have done that differently? <laughs> and it became just a, almost like you could have put it on recording for us, but it's something that I've used going forward, right? When you're mentoring someone, it's not about making judgments. You know, it's not about saying, oh, that was wrong or, you, you know, you shouldn't do it that way. It's about, okay, 
how did you come to that you know, process, that decision? All right, now you've had time to think about it. How would you possibly do that differently? And it's that, I guess that thought of taking a step back and removing yourself from the situation so you can look at it from above rather than sort of you know, being right in the middle of it. And that can be difficult to do. And I think a mentor can really help with that. So I've, I've done that in a number of places to the point now where I have a couple of folks that are working at startups who are relatively early in that process that I've, you know, not necessarily formally, but on a, a reasonably regular every couple of weeks, catch up with them to talk about, you know, situations they're experiencing and give them some advice from, you know, all the things that I've gone through to hopefully help them avoid some of the mistakes that I make. And how would you advise mentees then to get the most out of their mentorship? So when they're coming <clears> to you for that hour or however long you've got to give them, what should they bring to the <clears> table to make the most out of that hour? Probably three things I would say. So the first thing is leave your ego at the door. Yeah. If you're going to sit down with someone and say, I want you to help me, then you need to be prepared to just expose all of the things you've done, warts and all, and to not feel judged, to not feel that someone is, you know, looking at you going, oh, what an idiot. Why would you do it that way, right? So leave your ego at the door, definitely. The second thing I would say is be, and this sounds a little bit, you know, new age, but be your authentic self. Like don't say what you think you should say because that's what you're supposed to say in that situation. If you come at something and you're like, I have absolutely no idea what to do here, that's equally as valid as, here's my plan and here's what I'm thinking and here's the way I would perhaps do that. Does that make sense to you? And I think too often we have this expectation of ourselves that we should be really good and we don't want to necessarily let that vulnerability and that authenticity out. So I definitely you know, think, yeah, be as authentic and genuine as you can. And the third thing then is to be really curious in a session. Don't accept that just because your mentor is saying something to you that it's actually the right thing. And I think there's a wonderful joy in people who don't have as much experience coming at a situation because they don't have all of that ingrained learning, that sort of cynicism that when you've been around a long time, you see a situation, you just go default into, yeah, well, that won't work, that won't work, this will work, that might work, because we kind of, inverted commas, know. But we don't really until we stop and explore. So I learn as much from the people that I'm doing mentoring with as they learn from me because they don't have that jaded cynicism. And so, yeah, be curious and ask lots of questions and definitely question your mentor as to why, why do you think that, how would you think that would work? What if this happened and turn it into a discussion, not a please, you know, give me wisdom from, you know, the mount on high that I can just take away and apply. I guess they'd be my three big ones that I'd suggest. Great. I guess on that, and it's, again, it's something we were talking about the other day. If you had to kind of, if there's someone that's going, oh, I think I need a mentor, but I'm not quite sure. What would you kind of, if you had to sum up the value of mentorship for someone that's kind of on the fence, what would you say? Yeah, well, that's a very personal thing for me at the moment because I hadn't had one and I hadn't really considered it, which is silly because I'd done my own mentoring of other people, right? But yeah, let's park the fact that, you know, do as I say, not do as I do. But I think the real value is in having somebody who doesn't have involvement and engagement in situations and can really give you totally unbiased advice. Unbiased feedback, unvarnished truth is something that we should get much, much more of. And we would all learn incredibly if we had someone who was prepared to say, check yourself, that's not right. Let's look at different ways of doing things. 
I think the other thing is, for all that I say, it's great that, you know, people who are getting mentored come in with a fresh set of eyes. There's also real value in talking to somebody who has been through the things that you're trying to go through. You know, don't make the mistakes that other people have made before you if you can avoid it. It's a lesson I wish I had learned a long time ago. Um, I had the battle scars and bruises to prove that, you know, you can get through it by making mistakes all the way along. But if you don't have to, then don't, <laughs> you know, take the wisdom that other people have and use it as a supercharging of your own decision making and your own awareness of challenges. And I think really the biggest thing being mentored does, it gives you that extra layer of awareness that you just sometimes can't have because when we're in the middle of things, you really do get tunnel vision. You know, how do I fix this gnarly problem that's sitting right in front of me right now? versus somebody who's got a completely dispassionate view of the situation can really help you elevate well outside the frozen decision-making you know, models that you're using in any given you know, moment. I was going to say something and it's gone. I started thinking too much about what you were saying. <laughs> I know. I'm like, wow, this is great. I think it kind of touches because like we've we spoke to Neil Gunning first thing and then we spoke to Amy who works at XRF and like asked them different things and I think you've kind of summed up what they both said like really succinctly that's why I was just like oh yeah because we were talking about that and we were talking about that um, <laughs> and I think like going back to what we were saying as well like you no know, when it's just you in a department you can get really quite kind of s- stuck with kind of like I need to tick off these priorities and actually maybe you're not doing them the best way a bit like you're saying kind of you're like oh I'm just going to do this and actually say so having somebody else's perspective on it and being like well actually maybe there's another way to do that or maybe there's a better way I think sometimes especially when yeah. you're by yourself all day every day and you, you are firefighting like it's even more valuable in those instances it is and you know let's face it we all have a personal pride right we all think we know what we're doing we'd all like to or we all at least are faking that we know what we're doing because we don't want anyone around us to know that inside we're going, ah! <laughs> right? So it can be hard to be, you know, that open and that vulnerable and admit that, but that's really the value. I mean, look, yeah, when I think of the things I, as I said, the things I've learned just in that last period of time, um, it's like, oh, the number of moments I just, you know, drop my head on the table and just go, why did I not know this five years ago when I was in the middle of that situation? It's just invaluable to me. Totally. Okay, just looking at time, we're going to ask you two more questions and then we'll let you go. Sure. So obviously you've gone kind of through all your experience with us and your career, which is amazing. What's not on your LinkedIn profile? What's not on your resume? What's not on there that, you know, has also made a huge difference to your career to date? Ooh, okay. So bizarrely, at the age of 37... I decided that playing rugby league is something that I hadn't done in my life and I'd really like to explore that. Now, rugby league, if you've watched it, is a violent, full-contact sport played by enormous human beings. And I am five foot six, so the complete opposite of an enormous human being. And it's taught me a couple of things. Once it's taught me, it's the first team sport I properly played, so it taught me a real value of knowing your role in a team and sometimes that executing your role as well as you can every single time can have enormous value to an overarching you know contribution you know we all think about always we've got to be better we've got to be the best we've got to be growing we've got to be evolving but there are some days and indeed i've seen this in work over the recent years being consciously competent and executing on that is extraordinarily valuable to a business being successful 
The second thing it showed me is that you can do way more than you think you can do sometimes if you're prepared to just take a chance. And as somebody who was a ballet dancer, right, surely I should have known that because I, I grew up in a country town in Australia where there was no ballet school and it took me years to find one. I should know that this is true, but as you get older and you have more things happen to you and more experience in your life, you start to you know, build the shell up, build the walls of, yeah, cool, I'm prepared to take risks right up to that point, And then I'll just stop there because that's my comfort zone. So doing something like that, the first, I remember the first time I ran onto the field and someone passed me the wall and I ran up and it was these two like suburb sized Islander guys in front of me that were just about to you know, crush me. And it was one of the most exhilarating feelings I've ever had. And you know, so I've been playing for, for 15 years now and absolutely loving it. And it's taught me a huge, yeah, a huge value of teamwork and how everybody interlinks and how you can utilize different strengths and the way that different people go about things to achieve an outcome. And that there are times when you will take somebody and say, okay, great, you're not good at those four things, but you're really good at this and help them focus on things that make them a valuable contributor to a team. I love that. Are you still playing rugby? Yes. Wow. How often do you play? We play about every three weeks because we're really old and it hurts a lot. Uh, and we can't play every week because that would be impossible. And it's a wonderful sport. So it's an over 35s team, but our oldest player is 76. Wow. And at that age, it's not contact, right? It, 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 the contact late, you know, gets less. But for a lot of these guys, it's a wonderful way to stay connected. Yeah. You know, it's a great thing for, particularly we know men struggle to talk, right? Other than in grunts most of the time as we get older. So having a group where you can feel safe, where you can feel supported. One of our guys, he said the proudest moment of his life was the day that he played with his three sons who had all turned over 35 and they all ran onto the park together. And he said, that's it, I'm done. There's nothing else in my life that I could ever achieve that would top this moment. So it's a wonderful, wonderful thing I to know. do. That's hard. It's so like lovely. a community, isn't it? It's fantastic. It's Absolutely. So and because at our stage of life, right, things start to happen. You know, yeah. you lose people, there's divorces, there's illnesses. And so it is really a, a living, breathing support group to help you navigate at times some of the worst moments of your life with a bunch of people who are just there for you. And then at the end of it all, we'll say, great, now let's just go and play some footy. Let's just be mates running onto a pitch and, you know, belting the living daylights out of each other and shake hands and have a beer at the end of it and say, wasn't that great? And ow. Ow, that really hurt. But yeah, it was great. <laughs> I feel like numbers for rugby sign-ups have just increased by about a thousand percent and Hope and I are about to sign up for a team sometime soon. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Excellent. All right, last question. Who, from a HR and TI perspective, would you really like us to interview or you'd like to hear more from? Oh, okay. So I, I'm a person who, if you follow me at all on LinkedIn or Twitter or other socials, is constantly on about diversity and inclusion. And I think we should celebrate and empower more women to be out there talking. So I'm going to cheat and give you several names. So Rebecca Powell is wonderful. She's a, an amazing thinker. She's done incredible things. She's been in TA. She's taken on not that long ago a really big people and culture role that she felt was you know, a massive step for her. And she's done some just extraordinary things. There's a lady, Jo McCatty, that you should definitely talk to. She's had a really interesting career path doing not dissimilar to me, like coming in one area and moving totally out of that into TA and now does a lot of mentoring and coaching. She's fabulous. Laura Payton from Papercut is 
amazing. One of the, the wonderful speakers that if you ever hear her talking, she's just genuine and warm and has a real, like a huge amount of insight. Who else? Tanya Siggins is, is really interesting. She does some wonderful things on social about, you know, posting and giving content away to people for free because she just cares and is really, really genuine. And there's a million more, but I probably should stop there because the podcast will be done and you'll be like, yeah, really, we stopped recording half an hour ago. You, really, we've run out of names. Um, but yeah, they'd be some immediately that I would say to you, definitely get in touch with. And if you want an introduction, feel free. I'm happy to facilitate that because I think they'd all have really interesting stories that you know your listeners would gain something from. Amazing. Thank you so much. I'll be taking you up on that later. Cool. Thank you for today. <laughs> I really enjoyed it. And I really want to hear more about the ballet next time we catch up. <laughs> No problem at all. Look, thanks, guys. I really appreciate you giving me the chance to tell my story. And yeah, hopefully someone gets something out of it that they can use and apply going forward. Want to know more about how to get ahead? Be sure to check out striving.io for career development tools and mentorships to guide you through.